Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. We're talking about the voice of God. That's one thing you can't get on YouTube, and you can't Google it, right? Okay, Google. Hey, Google. Stop. (laughs) Obviously, I'm an Android user. Gave myself up. But we realize that God is looking to do something amazing in our lives, but sometimes our ears aren't attuned to what he's saying. And last week, I really did challenge us. And I'll be honest, I don't know what your week was like, but I still found so many distractions and so much noise in my week. And at the end of my week, I was saying things that were hurtful to people. And I was having, I had a Friday where I apologized to a volunteer, to a family member who I also work with. And then Saturday, the same, I was like, are you kidding me? I cannot, because I realize I'm not giving myself enough time to hear God's voice. I'm not pausing enough to listen to what he is wanting to say to me. And because of that, I'm in my own mode and I'm operating in my own strength. And I've, I'm trying to carry his peace in my abilities and it doesn't work. You can never bear the fruit of the spirit by squeezing it out in the flesh. That's something I learned a long time ago. And, and it's so true. It smells foul. It is disgusting, and man, when I try to squeeze peace out of my life, it's a piece of something, but it's not God's peace. I'll just tell you, <laughs> it is not God's peace. That was not in my notes. I'm looking. Susan has not started a coughing fit, so we'll continue. So to recap, just last week, <laughs> I better recap last week quick. Jesus is our shepherd, and we talked about from John 10 how he has a voice that his sheep will recognize. And he also knows his sheep. And we also talked about Jesus as our high priest, what he has also given us access to as our shepherd, but he has also given us access into uh, something that he wants us to walk in, and that is fellowship and communion with our Father and with Jesus and one another. And we discussed the gifts. I'm just going to recap. You don't have to put any verses up there. Just throw the, uh, the landing slide on there. I'll get to that in a second. But we also discussed the gifts and the offices, especially from Ephesians chapter 4. That when Jesus ascended, there was a transaction, something that took place, that when he came out of that grave and ascended into heaven, that he dispersed. Not only did he set some captives free, there were some things in the the ruler of this heir that had some control at that point that I believe at that moment was then dispensed of that power, and he gave gifts unto men so that we see them in our lives today. That's how we have access to the Holy Spirit, but also through the gifts and operation of the ministry team that he has given us. We talked about the pastor, the teacher, the prophet, the apostle, and the evangelist, and how I believe that oftentimes we see one of those maybe in operation in a church, but it keeps us in our immaturity because we never operate in the fullness that he has designed us to be equipped with. And so we hopefully will bring people around us and surround our team here at this church with folks that have different gifts, some apostolic, some more focused on outreach and evangelism, others that are, that are focused on vision or a prophetic word to keep us back on God's straight path that he has for us. Others that will be pastors and shepherds with a tender heart and teachers of God's word that can dive into some of the deeper things. I believe BJ has such a teaching gift on his life 
Have you guys, I mean, that is very evident. There are others that, that have such a tender shepherd's heart like a pastor. There are others that can be a little more brash but keep us back in the black and white of God's word and have a prophetic gifting. There's others that have vision and are ready to run 10 miles down the road and we hope that the rest of the team can help them catch up. And they have that apostolic anointing. And so I believe, though, that as, as Paul laid that out, that framework, as we're listening to God's voice, we see that he has also given us gifts and voices, but is still one chief shepherd that leads us all to help us come to maturity and the fullness for what he has for us. And so to finish up the recap, we prove and vet the voice. We prioritize listening and hearing the voice. And that's what I, I recognize I've got to do better. I've got to do more of. It's not a striving except to enter his rest. It's not a striving to earn anything. As we kicked off today's service, we're not earning the ability to worship God. That I'm so glad that's not the God we serve. I'm so glad he's not stacking up my week against me to see where my merits are going to land. I am so thankful for the blood of Jesus. I'm so thankful for grace and for mercy. If it wasn't for that, where would we be? Where would we be? And so, but we got to prioritize listening and hearing his voice because he does have something he wants to say to us. And so we position ourselves and from that we find purpose. 1 Peter 2.10, we said this last week in 1 Peter 2.10, it said, you, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have. Now we're a people belonging to God. We've got something that he has called us to, and that is to declare his praises. His praises, the one who has plucked us out of that darkness and into his marvelous light, has given us the ability to use our voice because of the voice we have heard. And John 10 says this. John 10, I think it's verse 16, and this is the message translation. It says, you need to know that I have other sheep in addition to those in this pen. I need to gather and bring them too. They'll also recognize my voice, and then it will be one flock, one shepherd. There's more. There's neighbors, there's family members, there's friends that we have that are far from God. And his desire, and hopefully ours as well, is God, would you gather them? Would you bring them into the pen, the not yets? Would you bring them to a place of hearing your voice, of experiencing you in a way to trust you for salvation and radical transformation? That is what I believe he wants to do in and through us as he fills the earth with his glory one person at a time. So I want to do something is sometimes it's hard for us. It's confusing. How do we distinguish? Is this Satan? Is it, is it self? Is it God? Who is speaking to me? And, and just to have a little bit of fun with it, I'd like to get two volunteers who could potentially win a gift card uh, to come up and play. I see Jay's hand. Anyone else? Jay heard a gift card. Andrea. All right. Jay versus Andrea. I'm going to let you choose your buzzers. And we're going to, Jay, I'll have you over here on my right, center of my right hand. There we go. Uh, green, ooh, and blue. All right, you're going to come over here, Andrea. What you're going to do is face one another. And when you think you know this next phrase, was it from one of the three following? Is it God? Is it Satan? Or is it self? We're going to read this first phrase. You can put the first phrase up there, Bethany. It's going to be slide one. It says this, you are worthless, good for nothing. No one wants you. You can buzz as soon as you know, as soon as you know. Jay has buzzed twice, so he gets to answer the first question twice. All right. Jay, what do you think? Uh, that would be uh, Satan. 
That would be the devil. That is true. Or it could have been your car ride on the way to church. I don't know who you wrote anyways. That is true. So here's how I want you to pick it out. You notice the word you speaking to you, right? Speaking to you. All right, so we're going to go with the second one. You can buzz in as soon as you think you know. Is it Satan? Is it self? Or is it God? This next phrase says, I am broken. I can't be fixed. Was that Jay again? All right. That's it. I'm going to... All right, I was just telling her a little secret about this game. Yeah. So yeah, it is self, right? Sometimes we take the same words that the enemy has been saying to us and we echo them to ourselves. Um, We will buy into those lies and we'll believe that we're broken, that we can't be fixed. That's what he's been saying to us. That's what he's used other people to say to us. And we start to believe them. All right, one more. Here we go. I will always be alone. I have these thoughts and feelings because I am messed up. Who is that? Is it Satan's self? Oh, Jay gave a token there. But based on the tense in the words, what do you think? Self it is. That's right. And you're right. Satan can, uh, we take those words and um, sometimes it gets real confusing because even the enemy will, will really warp the way that, that uh, those pronouns sound in our own thinking. But just for the game, that's what I did. Here we go. One more. This is the last one. You will never amount to anything. Those dreams you had... Was it Jay again? It was a tie. All right, who do you think? Satan. Satan. All right, both of you guys, thanks. Would you give him a hand for participating? So all these that you heard were Satan or self. And, and I just, I did that just out of fun. You know, I didn't have the big chairs where they could, you know, hear me singing those, those lyrics, so to speak. But that's oftentimes how we hear them. Uh, we hear the enemy and then we kind of pick up the tune where he left off of the view of, of his lies towards us, but it has nothing to do with God's plan or God's thoughts towards us. In fact, I'm so thankful that the scripture gives us a little hint as to the one that's speaking to us in Revelation 12, calls him the accuser of the brethren. Listen to this. He said, then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For who? The accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God. How often? Day and night. Day and night has been hurled down. He has been defeated. And they triumphed over him. By what? The blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. See, we have a real accuser. We have someone whose voice is not our good shepherd. But oftentimes that's the voice that we'll hear and we'll hear it replayed. It'll, it'll come across from someone in our family that we love and it cuts deep. It will come from someone that we work with who belittles us or makes us feel like we really don't have what it takes. It will come from, from a stranger. It'll come from a frustrating moment and we'll replay these lyrics in our mind and our feelings will carry us down in a wasteland, in a wasteland of sewage that, that God never designed for us. It was not his voice. But I want to give you something that Paul says to us. He says in Philippians 4, 8, these are the things that I want you to think on. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, I want you to think about these things. 
So when we talked about vetting the voice, here's another uh, algorithm. Here's another you know, litmus test that we could put up against it and see how it compares. Is it true? Is that really true? And that one can be confusing because sometimes you think, well, I do feel that way about myself. I do, I do think that sometimes I'm, I'm broken. I can't be fixed. Is it noble? Is that, right? is that pure? Is that lovely? Is that really what God is saying about me? Is it admirable? Is it something that I would aspire to? Because the things that the Lord is saying about you is something that you would desire. It is something that you would want, you would crave. It is something that is admirable. You would esteem it. You would say that it is lovely, it is right. And this is where we have to be aggressive. I love how Paul paints this picture for us in, as he writes to Corinth. He writes to, to the church in, in uh, Corinth and he says this, he says, take every thought captive, make it your slave. And I see literally just this aggressiveness of a, a nature of taking the sword of the spirit and spearing those thoughts to the wall and saying that has to become obedient to Christ. We have to be aggressive with our thoughts. As Rick had said a couple of weeks ago, the, the battle is right here in that gray matter. It's between the ears. The battle is oftentimes in the playground of our minds because it will feed so many other things that happen in our lives, the way we feel, the way that we then carry out what we do, our actions. We have to wage war here with thinking God's thoughts, hearing His voice, not giving credence, but being aggressive to the voice of the other, whether it be the enemy, whether it be self. It's just gotten in rhythm with the enemy. We have to be aggressive against that. I want to see if you recognize this voice. This first one, it says, I have called you by name, you are mine. I want you to hear that. I have called you by name, you are mine. And this is God saying this to you in Isaiah 43.1. Do you recognize this voice? It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before there was a heartbeat, Bill, I set you apart. Jeremiah 1.5. But you are chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of the darkness and into His wonderful light. 1 Peter 2.9 Do you recognize this voice? For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Will you just trust me? Will you, will you let me enter your journey with you? Do you recognize this voice? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. I don't know what your past was like, but I, I can see where I was once in darkness. And I can see where the Lord pulled me from. And I can give him glory for that salvation, regardless that I grew up in church and went to a Christian school and it should have been okay. But I can see, oh, thankful for the glory of God and his salvation of what he's done in my life, the miry clay he's pulled me from. Has anybody else been in some darkness? You can see God's light though now. Thank the Lord for that. We can hear his voice. Do you recognize this voice? For you, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written. The days fashioned for me. When as yet, there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me. Oh God, how great is the sum of them. I don't know what you think about all day, but I can tell you what God's thinking about. And it's you. And it's you. God wants you to remember that he is thinking about you. He is always consumed with 
can I enter into this with you? Can I walk this journey with you? He's so bent on having relationship. You're going to hear me say that a hundred times. He is a gentleman. He will not force himself into your life, into your circumstances, into your faith, but he will draw it out of you. Because as we take that one step, as we draw near, he's already running a hundred. He is dashing in because he is a jealous God, all-consuming fire, and he will ravish our hearts. Do you recognize this voice? For we are his workmanship. Rick and my wife, I think both read that in the the past month. And I love that word, uh, workmanship. I can't remember if Rick maybe even uh, said what it was in the Greek. It's uh, poema. It's literally the word where we get poem. You are this creative writing that I am putting into the earth that only you can be the lyrics of in your generation. You are a poema. You are a poem. You are God's workmanship. I love that. Do you recognize this voice? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I know Tara and I, we have to remember that sometimes the places we go, and, and honestly, I'll tell you, um, Walmart on Kinsel Way is probably the most dangerous place in town. Uh, if you go over there, man, God, I, you better be with me. I'm going down aisle three, and there ain't no telling what's around this corner. Definitely not at that Walmart. But we trust him that in every circumstance and situation, all jokes aside, that he's with us, that he will be with us every step of the way. He will be with us every step of the way through the dark days and through the bright ones alike. He is the God that we can count on. He is faithful. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. This is the last thing I want you to recognize. Do you recognize this voice? He says, you are valuable. You are new. He makes all things new. You have my spirit. You will be transformed. You represent me. There are so many things that God says about us, and I hope that in our spirit we hit that button to turn around and say, God, was that you? I recognize that voice. I recognize those thoughts. Those are your thoughts towards me. I recognize those words. Those are your words about me. Those are your plans. What was that, Lord? Was that hope in a future that our ears would perk up, that we would be so quick to smash that button within our soul and allow him to enter into what we're walking through? That's his desire. You capturing that with me? That's his plans for us. And I want to remind us again of a verse last week that I, that I mentioned. It's Romans 11. I didn't put it on the screen, but I want to talk about it. As we hear his voice and as we come to him and commune with him in response to his voice, here's what I love about this doxology that, that Paul inscribes for us. He says in verse 33, he says, Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. That's why when we're singing this morning, I'm like, Oh, God, would you give me your vision? Would you give me your wisdom? Because how unsearchable are those, his judgments? In his past beyond tracing out. Verse 34. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? And then this is the verse that I kind of honed in on for a little bit. Verse 36. For from him and through him and for him. Other translations put and to him are all things. Would you say those three phrases with me? Say from him, through him, and then for him, I like to him, but for him is the same, same connotation there. From him, through him, 
and then back to him. It is for him. A.W. Tozer says this about prayer. I want you to kind of listen to this for a second. It's talking about this metrics for our theology and what we buy into, what we allow our soul and even the voices that speak to us regarding who God is in our lives. He says this about prayer. A.W. Tozer writes, he says, Prayer among evangelical Christians is always in danger of degenerating into a glorified gold rush. Let me say that one line again and then I'll give how he expounds. Prayer among evangelical Christians is always in danger of degenerating into a glorified gold rush. Almost every book on prayer deals with the get element mainly. This is Tozer. How to get things we want from God occupies most of the space. Now, we gladly admit that we may ask for and receive special gifts and benefits in answer to prayer, but we must never forget that the highest kind of prayer is never the making of requests. Prayer at its holiest moment is the entering into God to a place of such blessed union as makes miracles seem tame and remarkable answers to prayer appear something very far short of wonderful by comparison. It is more about communion than it is about getting answers and requests. It is more about not the getting, but the who am I being with? Who am I becoming as a, as a reflection of being in His presence? Are we hearing His voice or are we just going so that He hears ours? Is He also having communion with us or do we is it some sort of spiritual pornography? We want him to reveal himself, but we don't want to reveal ourselves. Are we not being authentic with him? Are we not being real? And I really, I just want to pause here because I think we hit this on Wednesday a little bit, what the Lord is doing in our midst. I believe there is a cap and a ceiling that is kind of coming off in some of our lives because we're, we're, feeling, we're sensing this ability to be real with one another and with God, which is the primary one we want to be real with. And because of that, this is all leading somewhere. I don't feel like the enemy is in a lot of this. I feel like the Lord is leading us towards freedom. But how many of you know you can never, you never can head towards freedom in Christ if you won't take off the mask and admit who you are with Him? If you won't be real and vulnerable with Him, He can never set you free. Amen? And I see that daily in my life. I see that daily when I call a family member and vent, and I'm like, oh, that, well, that probably didn't help him or me. But I know the Lord is causing us to say, okay, where are you at? Are you, where are you? Will you come and spend time with me? Will you commune with me? And we're like, oh, God, but you don't know what I'm struggling with. You don't know what I just said, and I can't believe I said it, but I did, and I can't take it back. And Oh, you won't believe what I did. And He's a God of grace and mercy. He is revealing Himself, but will we reveal ourselves so that we can have true, intimate communion with Him? Will you? And so for the next few moments, I want us to go and look in the Old Testament. If you'll turn in 1 Kings, we're going to be looking primarily in chapter 19, but I'm going to give kind of a synopsis of the life of Elijah. I felt like the Lord wanted us to talk as we look at the voice at Elijah. And I've kind of struggled all week, feeling like this is where he was leading us a couple of weeks ago. I was like, Lord, I'm not quite getting what you're saying. I'm not sure because I felt like I knew what he wanted to say, but I didn't see it in the story. And 
And I think it's in here. And the Lord, I think, is going to speak to us in profound ways. Now, how many of you know there's only a few chapters written about Elijah? It's just, just three. But yet, we really talk him up like, like he owned half the Bible or something. You know, like Jesus has way more. <laughs> but Elijah, and think about this. There were, there were two gents on the Mount of Transfiguration with him, right? We had Moses, which I believe represented the law. And then we have Elijah, that I believe represented the prophets. The law and the prophets, I believe, were also represented up there on the Mount of Transfiguration. And here was the Word that became flesh, okay? So I think we had Moses and the prophets and the Word that became flesh. That's powerful. Are you capturing that with me? On the Mount of Transfiguration. And so there were also two folks that the Lord would appear to in powerful ways, and we're going to read about one in a moment. To Elijah. So, to give a little bit of the backstory, Elijah has already uh, been called into ministry. He was not the first prophet, remember? Samuel was. Samuel was the one that instituted the kingdom, not because he wanted to, because God was finally like, just give them what they want, give them what they ask for. They're not going to, you know, give into a, a, a theocracy, so give them a king, give them what they see the other nations have, and maybe it'll make them happy. And we see kind of in the history of Israel that there were some good ones, and there were a whole lot of bad ones, and a couple of good ones again, and then some more bad ones. And Elijah is living in the day of a really wicked king, King Ahab. Anybody know who his wife was? Yeah, Jezebel. Was she, is, was she from Israel? No. She was uh, the daughter of a king from a, a neighboring uh, nation, and they worshiped Baal and Asherah, and she really brought a lot of those prophets and, and that worship into Israel and defiled the people. But Ahab was wicked. He loved it. He was all about it because he was heavily seduced in that relationship. But Elijah is appearing on the scene in this, in this dynamic. He predicts a drought, it happens, and then he visits the widow. Remember, you know, hey, what kind of, how many jars you got? Uh, and, and so all this has happened. He's raised the, the widow's son. And now in, in chapter 18, Ahab finds out where Elijah is. And Elijah's kind of been a pest to Ahab and just kind of calling him out in his sin. It's kind of what you gather. You don't see the specifics of it, but he's a prophet. And, and Ahab comes up to him and he says, oh, here's this troubler of Israel that has shown up. And, and Elijah's response to him, I haven't caused trouble for Israel, you have. What are you, what are you talking about? And, and so they, they have this back and forth and Elijah finally says, you know what? You go and get the 400 prophets of Baal. You go and get the 450 prophets of, of Asherah. You go and gather them. And Ahab begins to do just that. And we'll have a showdown. The good old Western. I think the music was already playing. And so Ahab goes and gets him, but all the people are, are there. They're watching this transaction, this conversation go down. And he says, as for all you people, who are you going to serve? If it's going to be God, then follow him. But if it's going to be Baal, stop living in two worlds. And so there's this kind of this showdown. And, and you guys know the story. This is what's happening leading up to, to what's going to, where Elijah's roller coaster of, of where we want to look at his heading. But Elijah, he says, okay, everybody's here, all the prophets. Imagine how massive this must have been. He's got about 850 prophets of false gods over here and then himself. So not really fair teams, um, but he, this is the way he wanted it. And he's pretty much claiming that they've killed all the rest. All the prophets of God, you've killed them all. Even though we do hear that there were some that were hidden. And, and here he is and he's like, okay, you build your altar, I'll build mine. You build yours, we got two bulls here. You cut yours up and we'll see what happens with yours and then we'll go to mine. And so he has them, he has them you know, build their altar, make their sacrifice and they, it says they begin at the beginning of day. 
So I would clock this at about 9 o'clock based on, the, on how they would keep time. And he says at about noon, they're still screaming out. And that's when Elijah comes up and says, hey, hey psst, maybe you need to be a little louder. I bet your God's sleeping. I'm sure he's out there, okay? But he, he begins to kind of tease them, to, to jeer with, at them and, and to give them a hard time about this. And so he says, he says, well, maybe he's in deep thought. Shout louder. And it, finally, it's not working. All day goes on. All day, and nothing has happened. You know the story. And then finally, he says, okay, go get some buckets of water. Douse my sacrifice. Douse my altar. Make sure you got that trench deep enough around it. Fill it up. All right, do it a second time. Do it a third time. And so he has his sacrifice and his altar in a, a ravine that he has built around it, pretty much soaking wet. And he said, now... He says this prayer. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And it says that fire fell from heaven, burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and licked up all the water. I love how it adds that, how it even licked up all the water. And that the people responded, the Lord, he is God, Yahweh, he is God. And he had all the prophets of Baal that were there that day chased down and slaughtered. So this is, he's, he's just had this happen and he's predicted this, this drought, but then he begins to tell Ahab, he said, you better get your chariot ready because it's about to rain. And they're in the desert, it's not rained in, in years, it's not going to rain. And Ahab's like, oh yeah, sure. I would have gotten my chariot ready if I'd just seen what had happened. I'm just telling you. If I knew I was wicked, I was out of alignment with the Lord's plan for my life, there was, I would have been out of there. But Ahab, after, sending, uh, after Elijah sent his servant multiple times, eight times, to check and see if there was a cloud coming up from over the water, finally there's one. You remember how big it was? Cloud. How did he see that? see a cloud the size of a man's hand. I guess he did this. Ran back. Hey, Elijah, it's about this big. <laughs> well, so is the moon. <laughs> it's all perspective, Carrie. It's all perspective. Sees a small cloud forming, and the next thing he knows, the whole, the whole sky is dark. And Ahab has to get out of there because everything that his wheels are going to be turning in are about to be mud. And literally, Elijah tucks his cloak in and takes off running and beats the chariot to where Ahab was headed, to Jezreel. And that's where we're picking up. Ahab tells Jezebel about everything that's happened, and she ends up threatening Elijah's life, and Elijah is running for his. And so that's where I want us to look today with that recap of what is happening. I want us to look at 1 Kings 19, verse 3. It's going to be on the screen for you as well. Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Let's stop just for a second. Sometimes when we are on the heels of, of the Lord doing some incredible things in our life and we feel threatened by the enemy or by circumstances or by health or by finances, one of the first things we tend to do is to get rid of the people that normally help us. We isolate, we fire our help, we leave them here because I've got to go figure this out by myself. And it's not the way God designed us. 
Elijah here, he's afraid and he runs for his life and he gets to a certain point and he leaves his help there. I want to encourage us that when we encounter the Lord and we see him, that it doesn't cause us when we go through some valleys to disconnect, but instead to buckle down and to hold tighter to the community God has put around us. Amen? And so Elijah continues, and the story picks up at verse 4, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush. This is a, a typical bush in the desert. And he sat down under it and prayed that he might die. This is a similar situation to what we read in the book of Jonah. Y'all, kind of, you kind of remember where he's kind of running from the Lord and he sits down and he kind of has the same talk and he's ready to give up. And it's a very similar situation. But here he is underneath this bush. Now this bush can, can serve multiple purposes. He could literally start eating it if he had to. So it could be sustenance. But right now it is his refuge and it is providing shade and shelter even in the midst of his depression and his sadness. So the Lord in his sovereignty is still providing for him. And, it, and here's, what, here's what Elijah says. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than those before me, my ancestors. And he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. I remember as a teenager, I was at a church up in Pigeon Forge at the time called the Father's House. And revival was going on. We were having, oh, amazing things were happening. And uh, at the time, there was still a lot happening in Florida, and groups were coming back, and teenagers were praying for adults, and everybody was, I mean, addicts were being set free. It was amazing what God was doing in that moment uh, of time. And, and I remember uh, an individual who came up to me, and something he said in the moment, he said, you know, after service, I'm going home, and I'm just taking a nap. I'm eating, and I'm taking a nap. He said, I was like, but aren't you coming back for tonight's service? And he said, maybe. He said, but I can tell, I can tell what's going on in my life right now. The most spiritual thing I can do is take a nap and rest. And that caught me off guard as a teenager trying to understand that. But as I've continued in my years, I've realized I see that sometimes the most spiritual thing we can do is to pause and give ourselves time and space to rest. How many of you know that when our margin is thin, We'll begin to cheat someone. You remember uh, last week I was talking about one of my mentors had recommended a book and he asked me uh, when we were meeting, he's like, who are you cheating? You've got a lot on your plate. You know, your margin, I can see your margin. I'm not even sure if I can see your margin. Who's being cheated? Is it candy? Is it the church? Is it Kiko? And here's the book that, that uh, I ended up picking up. It was formerly called Choosing to Cheat. <clears throat> it was formerly called Choosing to Cheat, but if you Amazon it now, it's going to be called When Work and Family Collide. And for Andy Stanley, his work is ministry, but this can apply to all situations. And I would encourage you guys, a lot of times when, when things begin to happen in our lives and our margin is thin, someone is being cheated out there. Is it the Lord? Are the distractions of our life keeping us from hearing His voice? And because of that, are other people around us being cheated of the quality of what He wants to do through us? Is my wife and my relationship being cheated because I've not given myself the bandwidth to, to rebound from everything else. And I understand seasons. Believe me, I do. I understand seasons. But discern if there's things that you can cut out or how you can just prioritize. You can make some changes or adjustments to find reprieve and rest in the Lord. It will do us all well. And so he continues and he falls asleep and then and it picks up all at once. An angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around. And there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. 
He ate and drank and then lay down again. And then it repeats. The angel of the Lord comes back a second time and touches him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, I want want to remind you this is very uh, similar to what happened to Moses with his 40 days and 40 nights, and then the law was given. And here is a prophet that we see on the Mount of Transfiguration who also has a similar experience of 40 days and 40 nights being, being strengthened and sustained only by the Lord. I do not recommend this kind of fast. Talk to your doctor and then a whole lot more. Talk to the Lord. But, but here's Elijah, and he's taken to the same place where the, where the commandments would be given. So they're in identical locations where we found the law. Now we see the prophet having a similar experience. This is what is unique, and I love this in verse 9. And there he, he went into a cave and spent the night. This is going to be a lot like our camping trip in June. So he went into a cave and he spent the night. I think we're all sleeping in caves. And here's what happens. I love this. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And then Elijah kind of gives his spill. I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, but the Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars, and they've put all your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Again, there's only one other scenario that is similar to this, this language, this vernacular of the Lord passing by. And it's in Exodus 33 when the Lord would pass by in the cleft of the rock and, and reveal himself to Moses. And he would declare, I am the Lord, the Lord, gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. And I love this part where he declares in his identity who he is. He continues his covenant for a thousand generations but visits the sins on the sons and daughters for three or four. His covenant of love is way greater than the impact of our sin. For my kids, on Wednesday when Annette was, we were talking and dialoguing on Wednesday night, and we're talking about, but here I am with a sanguine in my head, here I am with Ellie in my house. I don't want to crush her because of my, my faults, my makeup, even my wiring that doesn't interact in a healthy way. But yet, if she has the covenant of his love in his life, it is way greater. Even though I know that my faults and my sins can be visited, I am trusting in that covenant that is more powerful than my sin, that is more powerful and greater. doesn't let me off the hook, but it it is so much stronger. He is so much better. He is so much greater. He is forgiving. And so he replies again. He goes out there and he says, Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart shattered the rocks before the Lord. This is unique. This did not happen, I don't believe, in Moses. But in all that, the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was what? An earthquake. But was the Lord in that? He was not. And after the earthquake, there came a third thing. So we've got wind, earthquake, and now fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face. Remember, Moses felt like he could not even look upon the glory of the Lord. He had to turn his back because he was afraid, if I look at it, I will die. It reminds me of Isaiah 6, when Isaiah has preached as a prophet repentance and holiness in the first five chapters. 
He wasn't living a wayward life. Isaiah wasn't out there visiting the hotels on Magnolia. I'll just tell you, he was preaching the Word of God. Anyways, so here, here is Isaiah, and he sees the Lord and the train of his robe that fills the temple. And yet his response is, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And the coal is taken from the altar and touches him. And he says, who will go for me? And so there's this encounter with the Lord that regardless of where we find ourselves in our life, and I think this is what we're going to spend eternity doing. We're going to be catching a glimpse of the Lord, like the cherubim who have to cover their face and cover their bodies. We're going to catch another glimpse of who he is, and we're going to be crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty. But he was not in the wind, and he was not in the earthquake. He was not in the fire. He's not, he was not in these great, magnificent, just earth-shattering experiences. He was in none of that. He was in the gentle whisper. And then finally, I think he sometimes is saying to us, as he did to Elijah again, what are you doing here? What are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah gives the same spill. I think he had it on record. He just hit play. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Lord Israelites have rejected your covenant. Tore down your Beep. There it was. You know, it's like his his recording. He was on repeat here because he was in this he was in this cycle of just you don't understand. Woe is me. Look at what's happened. Look at what they've done. They've killed everybody. I'm the only one left, and now they're coming after me. And I want to encourage you that on the hills of some amazing things that the Lord has done. He could have just lit the fire in your life, but you have found yourselves being chased out of town and you feel like, no, I'm worthless. I'm good for nothing. He has no plan for me. Look, I can't even, I can't even help my family. I can't do anything for them. I can't provide the way I hope to. I can't, I can't control my, my health. I can't control my friend's health. I can't change anything. I'm out of control. And God's saying, what are you doing here? And if we'll come back to his voice and we'll realize that he has a plan for us and he sends Elijah back, he says, okay, I want you to go back and I want you to anoint three people, the next king of Judah, the next king of Israel, prophet to follow you, Elisha. And so Elijah's role was pretty much wrapped up three chapters later, one and done. A couple of miracles, pretty killer experiences, kind of with the prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth. But in his, in his timidity, he allowed a voice that was not God's to cause him to tuck tail and run. And Jezebel, I don't think she really would have attempted to do anything. And let me tell you why. Do you realize what just happened and how all the people of Israel responded? She knew that wasn't going to be her, her play. That was not her card. But she played a voice. It was enough to intimidate and it got what she wanted done. He was out of town. She wasn't, she wasn't going to kill him. Are you kidding me? What a, what a riot from the people. Yahweh, he is God. Whoever Elijah's serving, we're serving. They made their decision. But Jezebel still warped in her mind, used the voice that she had. Hear what the enemy will do in your life. Using a voice that he can never follow through on. Knowing he can't fully play that card. But he will try to use his voice to get you to tuck tail and no longer use the voice of the Lord in yours. Amen. I want us to find encouragement today. He's not done. It's not over. Where are you? 
Why are you here? Because he's taking you somewhere. He's going to use you maybe to anoint the next ones that come after you, but I don't think his work is done in your life. And here's what I think the Lord wanted to say for us. You may have come in here and you're like, you don't understand, Michael. I've messed up too much. I'm too broken. Let me tell you that I don't believe that any of you would be here at this church if you felt like I was perfect. I think, (laughs) what was that laugh for? My wife laughed. You would not be here if that was your reason. You're here because you think there are people in this place that are real and that want to follow the Lord and will challenge you to do the same. Plain and simple. We never follow people that are perfect. We follow people that are real. And I think that your feeling of being too broken, too messed up, makes you human, not imperfect or broken or lost. And I, I want to repeat something, like I said, that came up that came up this past Wednesday. The Lord is doing something here. It's time to take off some masks. It's time to say, God, you already see it all. I'm tired of propping up something that seems fake and a facade. It is time to lay it down. Lord, would you invade my heart and my life? Would you allow me to throw these emotions that are so heavy? I'm trying to carry them because I think that I've either got to kill them or I've got to change them. How many of you know a lot of Christianity has told us that with our emotions, that we can't feel them though? We can't process them though. But the Lord is saying, come and bring them to me. Let me exchange them because the seeds of what he is doing, when we hear his voice, it will bear something in us. And it's called the fruit of the Spirit. Do you sense that when he speaks, love is coming out of it? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Do you see those things coming out? Because those are the seeds that he is depositing. That is how we can judge that it was his voice. The fruit that he bears, it's the fruit of his Spirit. So we're not simply removing the fake. Let me say this clearly. We're not removing the fake for the purpose of self-discovery, but for Christ's discovery. I'm not interested in self-helps. I'm interested in Christ taking over. It was his cross, and we take up our own as we follow him, but he's at the forefront, not us. He's the center of this world, not you, not me. It is the voice of our shepherd that we hear and recognize. It is the voice we have been waiting for, longing for. It brings satisfaction to the deepest places of our lives. We were made to be in his pasture. We were created to hear and to recognize his voice. His words bring healing. They reaffirm us. And they begin to lead us to declare his praises. I would encourage you, just this next week, would you do a word study with me? Would you pull up BibleGateway.com or one of those? Just do, do a Google search of, okay, Google, Bible study tools. And just begin to do a word search. Hey, 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 Google, you're done. <laughs> do a word search on appeared. and Maybe the Lord appeared. Tie those three words together, how the Lord appeared. And even if you, try, if you decide to do one on passed by, look at those two stories, those two narratives closely on how, when he appeared to Moses and to Elijah because he wants to pass by again as he did in the cool of the day. I believe that what he did was because of a precursor of what he was redeeming us to experience for eternity, that we would catch a glimpse of who he was, that we would hear his voice as he declares his identity and nature to us. And it is all for one purpose, that we would reflect the image of his son, because we were made to be like him. 
then the earth, this earth right here, this clay would be filled with his glory. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me? Nothing you can put on a song back there. All my piano players left. And with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, maybe you've not heard his voice in a while, but I want to declare to you, he gives promises as he did to Abraham. He will direct your journey as he did theirs. He brings peace and reminds us of his constant presence. And in Judges 13, he even appeared to the childless and gave promise of life and posterity. He will bring life where you felt like will only be death in your life and in your soul. And he wants to appear to each one of us again within our heart of hearts. And I want you to hear his voice. I want you to hear what he is saying over you, that he is not finished, that it isn't over, that you're not too far gone, that you didn't mess up too big because his grace is greater and he is still God and he is still good. And the devil, the accuser, he's a liar. But we're standing on solid promises, the promises of God that are yes and are amen. They will be confirmed in your life. They will be confirmed in mine. But if this morning you would just say, Michael, I need prayer. I need, I need to tune out so many other voices that I know aren't God's, but I don't know how to do it. If you would just like prayer right now, I want to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand if this is spoken to you? You need to hear the voice of the Lord. Yes, you need to have an encounter with him. You feel like you have seen greatness, but you have been discouraged and depressed as Elijah was. And you've, we've allowed the enemy to tuck our tail and cause us to run. Is there anyone else that I can pray for this week? Yes, yes, yes. Anyone else? Yes. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, the scripture says. And I speak to every thought of depression and suicide that you bow in the name of Jesus. We speak life and that the spirit of death that is running rampant in our culture today, it will not have its hold any longer in Jesus' name. I speak life. Lord, I thank you for everyone that has uh, just acknowledged that you're speaking to them this morning and those that, that, that didn't, but Lord, know that you are. God, right now, we just come to you and we release some things that we have carried, that we have allowed the enemy to speak and to, um, to even warp our psyche and the way we think of ourselves, the way we think of you. Lord, you're going to realign and transform our thoughts. And Lord, right now, I just pray for the cleansing of the washing of your word, that you will begin to remind of your word over us, that we are dearly loved and chosen, that every blessing and, and gift that we need, you have already equipped because of what Jesus has done. Every blessing flows. Father, allow us to tap into it. Would you allow us, as Colossians 3 says, to live seated <laughs> next to you in the heavenly realms. Let us live from up there. We want to live as eagles, not chickens. We want to soar. We want to soar. God, I pray that we would mount up and rest as we enter into your glory, God, that we would strive to enter your rest, the peace that you give us. We're not striving to, to do anything to earn, but God, we're giving it all. We're surrendering. Thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy in this place. Holy Spirit, be with us this week as we seek to hear your voice, as we discount and become aggressive with all the other voices. We thank you, Lord. Amen and amen.